20 some odd years ago, a pastor would typically walk up on the stage and to his church congregation, pretty much like ours, would say, God is good. And the congregation, a.k.a. the crowd, that means you would respond and say, all the time. You went to that church. God is good. And all the time, you went to that church a lot. Oh, I'm excited. We're going we're to open up a brand new series. You know what we're going to look at? You'll notice the title is Good Grace. And good grace comes from a good God. And for the next seven weeks, I just want with our church family... I want to open up our Bibles, and I want to turn to one of the most common verses and passages of Scripture there is, the 23rd Psalm. And I just want to look at us together, and we'll look at that 23rd Psalm, and we will understand nine, even ten ways that God is good. And we'll camp out on it, and, and, and we'll talk about it on Sundays, and, and I want you to take notes. By the way, look at the notes that, that we handed to you this morning. Look at all the fill-ins on. Flip it over. Look at all of those fill-ins. Look at all of those passages of Scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I will get through those notes this morning, and I will have you out of here in a reasonable amount of time. Now turn to the person next to you and say, you're going to learn something this morning. That's right. Now turn to them again and say, and it's about time. <laughs> some, of us, some of us, when we were growing up with our moms and our dads, we sat around the table and, and we, we actually learned to pray for our food. God is great. God is good, and we thank him. for. How many of you prayed a prayer like that with you? And, you, you see some, and some of us did that, and, and, and we, we did that when we were children in, in, our, in our house, and then, then it kind of changed and got much more personal and, and actually got much longer. We thank him for our food. Here's the question. Is God really good all the time? Is he really, really good all the time? When you're struggling... When you're in conflict, when you're in pain, when you're depressed, when you're stressed, when you're worried, when you're under attack, is God really good? God is good. Well, a couple of you were with me there. God is good. All the time. Oh, look what Psalm 100 verse 5 says. The Lord is always good. He is always loving and kind. And his faithfulness goes on and on to each succeeding generation. Some of us are pretty good. But over time, our goodness kind of weans. Especially if we're talking about the people and we're in relationship, and, 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 and their goodness kind of weans because we give what, what we feel like we've been getting. God doesn't do that. He's good all the time. And there, today, I, I want to really just look at two things. I want to focus on the goodness of God and why it's so important in our lives. As a matter of fact, what I want to do with our church family first is I want to stop and I want to look at four things 
that happen in our lives if we stop recognizing that God is good. If, if we just begin to no longer recognize that, there are four things that happen if we don't focus on the goodness of God in our lives. And actually, it's, it's the major cause of stress in, in your life and in my life. I also want to look at the 23rd Psalm because there are nine ways in the 23rd Psalm that God himself shares about his goodness. Look at Psalm 34, 9. Worship God if you want the best. Why do I say sing all the songs? Sing all the songs. Open your mouth and shout. I, I'm enjoying our time of worship here in the mornings more than I, I think believe I ever have in the past. And I traveled and sang professionally doing this, and I'm enjoying it more now than I did then. Worship God if you want the best, because worship opens the doors to all God's goodness. Do you want the goodness of God in your life? Open up and worship and take notes this morning. And take notes and, and take them with you to your life group as, as, we, as we take this to a whole other level. So what happens in my life when I forget God's goodness? And I want us to understand this. Why? Because I want our church family to avoid all four of these problems. So we're going to look at them together so we recognize where we are and we, and we don't end up there. The first thing that happens when I forget God's goodness is I start claiming credit for the things that God has done for me. I start thinking, well, wait a minute, I did that. Because I'm forgetting about who he is and I'm forgetting about his goodness. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all that you have is from God, why act as though you're so great and as though you accomplished it all on your own? When we forget God's goodness, we begin to head down a path. Every path has a destination. When we forget his goodness, we head down a path that lands us in depression and stress. And we start to take on more in our lives than God ever intended. As a matter of fact, Jesus in Luke chapter 12 is telling this story about a rich, a rich man, a wealthy man. He has a lot of money. In our day, he wouldn't be a millionaire. He would be a billionaire. And, he, and Jesus tells this story. This guy is surveying his empire. He has so much and he, so much stuff. And his attitude is, look what I have done. Look what I have amassed. What, what am I going to do with all this that I have amassed? I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns so that I can put all my stuff in it. I'll, I'll get more and more safety deposit boxes. As a matter of fact, I'll buy a bank so I can have the safety deposit boxes and I can put my stuff in there. I'll, I'll build these barns so big that I can store it all in there. And Jesus responds this way. He says, you fool. We think that money is going to answer our problems. This guy's got all the money in the world. Jesus says, you fool. Tonight you're going to die, and I'm going to give everything that you have amassed to somebody else who will appreciate it and will thank me for it. This is a sober warning to us. We focus so much on money. 
If I would ask you guys, okay, well, what, what, what would be the worst kind of sin that we could commit? Well, what, what's the worst sin? Some of us might say, well, that's, that's, a, that's probably a sexual sin. Some of us might say, no, it, it would probably have a lot more to do with greed and, and something like that. And I'd have to say, nope, prideful ingratitude. Pride, we don't hear that much. Prideful ingratitude is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Ingratitude with God, who gives us everything, not grateful to God for his goodness. That would be prideful ingratitude. And the Bible talks about a king in Jesus' day, King Herod. King Herod was the king there in Jesus' day. And in Acts chapter 12, it says this, One day Herod put on his robes and sat down on his throne, and he made a speech to all the people. And listen, it must have been a good speech. It must have actually been a great speech. And he must have delivered it really, really well because they shouted, This is the voice of a God. He is more than human. And Herod was, was not a humble guy. He, he, he kind of he stepped his life into this praise that he was receiving. And he dug himself into it. And the Bible goes on to say, because Herod gave no credit to God, the Lord sent an angel to strike him down with a fatal disease, and he died. Boom. Done. Why did God strike him down? Because he was immoral? No. Because he was greedy? No. Because he lied to the people? No. He struck him down because his attitude was, I did it all myself. And, and, and our approach to God is, 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 well, wait a minute, I built this myself. I built this business myself with my bare hands. And my response would be, Probably God's response would be, well, who gave you your hands? I, I thought this business up myself. Well, who gave you your mind? I worked hard. I did it with the sweat of my brow. Who gave you your sweat? Everything in your life is a gift from God, the freedoms that we have, the very ability that you and I have to think is a gift from God. We can walk outside and see the plants and the trees and we can look at the hillsides and, and there's so much beauty in God's creation and, and the solar system and the Milky Way and it is so vast. Wherever there is design, it is evidence of a designer. Our creator is the great designer, and it's all good. I got to tell you, church, if I don't want to believe in God, it's because I don't want to believe in God. You can't say you don't believe in God because of what you're looking at, because your eyes are probably not open. God has created so, there is so much in nature, so much in our world and the worlds beyond that he has created that make it so obvious who he is. Romans 1, 21 says, they know God exists, but they do not give him credit for all he's made. And they're ungrateful. 
Paul's writing this. Look what he goes on to say. Their thinking becomes confused and their hearts fill up with darkness. They don't want to believe in God. They think they're wise, but they have really become fools. And we see this in different areas of our culture. Frankly, I see it in politics. I see it in so many areas. Less than two weeks ago, the governor of New York signed a bill that allows abortions right up to the point of delivery. And right after that, the governor of Virginia was asked about it, and the governor of Virginia went on to say, because he asked, they, they asked his opinion, he went on to say, what will happen is that the, ba the baby will even be delivered. If the mom can't decide, the baby will even be delivered. And then afterwards, the doctor will talk. These are his words, and I'm paraphrasing, but these are his words. The doctors will talk with the mom and the dad, and they will then decide what to do with the baby. Why, why are you even touching this subject, James? You see, this calls for me and it calls for you to speak out for those who cannot speak out for themselves. Let, let me say this. There isn't a doubt in my mind that, that in this crowd, there are a number, and we might be surprised at the number of us who've had an abortion. And I'm not talking to the ladies alone, because guys, we were as much involved in this as they were. And, and what I know is there's a pain and a guilt that comes along with that decision. And many of, so many of us are, are dealing with that. Here's what I know about Jesus. Jesus went to a cross, and he let them nail him to that cross. And he came here specifically for that reason. And he died on that cross. And they took him off that cross, and they put him in a tomb. And then he rose from the dead. Specifically, to take that guilt and pain and shame. So this, as his children, we no longer would have to feel and carry that with us. Second Timothy. Paul writes in his second letter to Timothy. This is, this is, this is really, you just got to read this. As, as the end approaches, he's saying, in the last days, as, as the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed. Where's my camera? I got to take a selfie here. <laughs> people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, arrogant, profane, rebellious, ungrateful, and have no respect for what is sacred. Does that look like our culture? Yeah. 
I mean, is that a snapshot of, of what you and I watch? And yet the brother of Jesus takes us back into a whole other reality. James in 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from God. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who was not a follower of Jesus until after the resurrection. And James, after the resurrection, led the church in Jerusalem and served and gave his life and went to his grave totally convinced that his brother was not only his, not only his brother, but he was his Lord and Savior. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the Son of God? There's real, and James says every good and perfect gift comes from God. If God did not exist, you would not exist. When I forget God's goodness, the second thing is I stop asking God for help, and this is a big deal. In other words, I stop praying. That's a big problem. In the New Testament, we're told over 20 times to come to him and he's waiting to help us. And not just the big stuff. We think, we're, you know, God's busy. I don't, I don't, it, it has to be something. No, no, no. You, you, you're headed to the doctor's office and you're late for your appointment. It's okay to say, Lord, I really need a parking spot. And you ask him for the parking spot. And some little old lady drives out of a spot right up front, and it's not a handicapped spot because you don't want to do that. It gets expensive. So you pull into this parking spot. He wants to be a part of our everyday lives. We're commanded in Matthew 7, 7, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. When I forget, when I forget about God's goodness, and I, and I stop thinking about that. You know what happens to my prayers? They become weak. And they become timid. And they become general. And, you know, God, he wants us to, but we start sometimes praying for things that, that are automatically going to happen anyway. Lord, give me traveling mercies. That's okay to pray that if you're going on a trip. That's okay to pray that. But 99% of the time, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're not going to get into an accident. How about prayers like, Lord, help me. This relationship conflict that's going on right now, God, can you bring something good out of this relationship conflict? God, we're, I'm, not sure how, I'm not sure how we're going to make the car payment this month. I need your help. In your face, direct, coming to our heavenly Father prayers. See, God wants us to learn to trust him. How, how does that happen? Well, let me give you a real practical way, because it's not a whole lot different than your kids and my kids. And it's not a whole lot different than you. Because you grew up as a child and you learned to trust your parents and we've raised kids to trust us. 
And, and there's a cycle that happens. There's this circle of security. You can do research. You can, you can find this is, this is, in, this is everywhere. It, it's a very simple process. It's a natural process. It's actually God's design, and it has happened in your life and in my life. And in growing up, there are four steps that you went through with your parent, and your kids have gone through with you. The first step is the child recognizes an unmet need. The second step is, is the child expresses that need, usually by crying or yelling because they don't have words yet and they're hungry or their diaper's dirty, at which point you hand the child to your spouse. Step three is the parent meets the need. We feed the child or we change the diaper. And step four is the child learns to trust the parent. And this process happens over and over and over again. And trust is built. You did it thousands of times with your parents. Thousands of times when, you, when we first get those, that baby and it gets plopped in our arms to the point that it moves out of our house. This process happens, and God uses this same exact process in your life and in my life. And he wants us to come to him and ask. When we're young, we probably just cry or yell. And then we begin to ask. And he, as a parent, meets our need. And yeah, there's immaturity. Our kids come to us and say, can we go to Disneyland? And our response is, yes, we can, but, but not yet. And then your kids get mad. And you say, wait a minute. I said, not yet. I didn't say no. Delay is not denial. He wants us sometimes to wait. And Jesus digs in on this. Look what, look what he says in Luke chapter 11. This is Jesus talking. He says, if you as imperfect parents, he stops and he's talking to people at a level that he knows they understand. They understand every word he's saying. He, he's, he's describing to them what they have been through and what they've done with their children. If you as imperfect parents know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much more will your heavenly Father, who, by the way, is perfect? Amen. Your heavenly Father, my heavenly Father, is perfect. Amen. How much will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? I can think back about nine years ago and we had a change here in our church leadership and, and the senior pastor was no longer the senior pastor and suddenly we're at a place where we're looking for a senior pastor and I was sitting there with our church board and we were at a restaurant. And I remember Paul Perez just turned to me and asked me if I would take the church, to which I replied, no. I, that was just my response, no. And over the course of, of some days and even a couple of weeks, I think Frank and I talked about it a little bit, and we just, in the place where we're thinking about what's next, Lord. And, and so I was telling Karen about this, and Karen said to me, well, did you pray about it? God is my witness. 
I turned to her and I said, with this kind of tone, I said, no, no. In other words, why would I even pray about that? Because in my mind, there was just a natural answer. I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about what is it God wants to do here. I'm just being totally transparent with you. Was not even thinking about that. And she and I just began to make it a matter of prayer, which, which just really, for me, meant, yeah, I was asking the Lord. Frankly, I was just saying, Lord, well, Lord, whatever you want. I'm, I'm fine with whatever you want. Never expecting him to begin to change my heart. So the answer was different. And not only was the answer different, I began to understand clearly what he wanted. Did God know what he wanted me to do all the time? Obviously, yes, he's God. But I got to tell you, we weren't even in the same arena. Look what Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews chapter 4 says, let's come boldly to the throne of our good and gracious God. Why? Because he's a good God. It's who he is. There we will receive his mercy and find grace. That word grace, what is grace? Grace is God's favor. Could you imagine anything better than the favor of the creator of the universe? We kind of flip that around, that word, pretty easily as Christ followers and church people. The favor of God himself. And James says, listen, God resists the proud. Could you, if, if you're proud, you're placing yourself in a position where the creator of the universe himself is resisting you. But what does he do? He gives grace to the humble. How do you want God's favor? Humility. And humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. He gives grace to the humble. There we will receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it. Not just any good time at all. When we really need it. Look what David says. Answer me, O God, out of the goodness of your love because that's who he is listen everything that God does to you for you or through you is because he is a good God and it's not based on who you are It's not based on how good you can be. It's based on his goodness. That's who he is. I cannot tell you how many of us grew up in homes where we viewed God so different than that. He's just up there waiting to catch us. He's not going to be happy with us until we follow these rules. You got to light this candle. You got to... You got to do these things. That's not who he is. When I forget how good God is, number three, I stop trusting God in difficult times. 
Here's the reality. If you and I were more aware of how good God really is, we would trust him more automatically. We, we, would, we would hear the doctor say, yeah, you, you, have, you have this problem or this disease or, or this is what's going to happen here. And, and our, our natural response would be, well, God, let's see what you're going to do with this one. Amen. No matter what happens here, God, I'm going to trust you. And right here, I could have put a list of verses together that would keep us here till next Sunday. I kind of figured out you wouldn't want to do that. Or maybe Bill would, but now the rest of you just wouldn't want to do that. Psalm 16, protect me, God, because I trust in you. You are my Lord, and every good thing I have comes from you. Paul, even in the bad times, in Romans chapter 3, we can have joy even in our troubles because we know. Paul writes, because we know. Why? Because Paul went through more troubles than any of us put all of our troubles together. Everyone in this room, throw it in a basket. You're still not going to match what Paul went through. And they're listed several times in scriptures. And when you read them, it is Staggering, And Paul says, because we know that these troubles are good for us. You got to read the list of what Paul went through. Good for us, producing patience, character, and hope. And then Paul goes on in Romans 8, 28. And we know that everything Everything in our lives, God works out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Those are the followers of Christ. Not for the bad, but for the good. The fourth thing I want to just touch on is when I forget the goodness of God, number four, I become negative about the future. I become a pessimist. I'm no longer optimistic about the future. I'm pessimistic about it. And all of us have someone in our lives who they are a pessimist. And here's what I will tell you. You don't even want to go to their house. You don't want to spend time with them because they're so negative about everything. When I forget about God's goodness I'm not as optimistic about the future. As a matter of fact, I'm downright pessimistic because you lose hope. You see, hope is based on the goodness of God. Look what David said in Psalm 27. I would have despaired. Despaired. In other words, I would have been desperate. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What does it mean, the land of the living? Is this a new movie coming out? No, no. In this life. I knew. My hope was that I would see the goodness of the Lord in this life. Then he goes on. 
Instead of being desperate, he says, instead I thought, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Why? Because God is good. Worth waiting for. David's saying, man, there would be no hope if it wasn't for a good God. And you may, you may be fighting with depression. You may be fighting with doubt, discouragement, despair. I got to tell you, there are two things I would love for you to do. Start focusing on the ways that God has blessed you. Make a list of the children that he has given to you. I know you think that one is driving you nuts. Put them on the list. Put her on the list. Put your spouse on the, I know what you may be, put your spouse on the list. Thank God for the blessings that he's placed and poured into your life. Number one, do that. Number two, don't miss any of these weeks as we together because this series is Hope for Despair. And hope is anticipating God's goodness. That's what hope is. It's anticipating his goodness. Jeremiah 29, 11, we all know it. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for good. Why? Because he's a good, good God. Amen. Plans to give you a future and to give you hope. Hope is tied to the goodness of God. This is a gift to his children. Now, I've got three minutes left, and some of you are thinking, crap, we're on the first side. <laughs> Flip that paper over. You're not going to beat the Baptist to the buffet on, on this Sunday. We flew back last night from the East Coast, and when I got on the plane and sat down in the chair, I buckled my seatbelt. Buckle your seatbelt. Because here we go. Get your pen ready, okay? Because of the goodness of God, and we're talking about the 23rd Psalm here. We're going to spend the next seven weeks in the 23rd Psalm. Because of the goodness of God, he will, number one, meet my needs when I'm worried. God will meet my needs when I'm worried. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. He will meet my needs when I'm worried. Number two, he will teach me to relax when I'm stressed. The second verse, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. It's a metaphor for peace and tranquility. Amen. He can take us when we're stressed to peace and tranquility. He makes me lie down. Have you ever had God make you lie down because you weren't smart enough to do it yourself? Too busy burning the candle at both ends? Number three, he will recharge my strength when I'm empty. Verse three says he restores my soul. He gives me new strength. In other words, when I'm out of gas, he fills me up. Number four, he will guide me when I'm confused. He guides me in the right paths for his name's sake. Indecision will stress you out. God says, I want to guide you. Number five, he'll walk with me all the days. He will walk with me in my dark days. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Just a side note, if God is with you, it doesn't matter who's against you. 
will protect me, number six, when I feel insecure. Insecurity is a wave going across our culture. So often by people who you think are secure. Verse four, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Rod and the staff are shepherd's tools which they use to get the sheep where they need to be, always in safety. He is our shepherd. Number seven, he will publicly show his favor on my life. Publicly, God will brag on you. Verse five, you prepare a banquet for me in front of my enemies, and in front of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Number eight, he'll be good to me no matter what. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. He will be good to me no matter what. Number nine is someday he'll take me to heaven. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He is a good God and he wants to meet your needs and my needs. And when we're stressed, he wants us to relax. He wants us to show us, he wants to show us how to do that. And when we're confused, he'll give us guidance. So we're no longer confused, but we're living in confidence because of who he is and he's a good God. When we're insecure in life, he wants to take us to a place of influence. He wants to provide abundance so that our cup runs over. And we all want this. Do you know what the problem is? We spend our lives looking in the wrong places for this. We look for it in a relationship. Well, my boyfriend's going to make me have, my girlfriend's going to make me have. Good luck with that. We think our bank accounts or our career is going to make that. No. He says, I want to do it. John 10, 10, he said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. He's talking about the enemy of your soul. He's talking about Satan himself. But my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. That's what a good God wants for you. He goes on in verse 11, and he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. He's our shepherd. We are his sheep. Father, you are so, so good. I don't know why we end up down a path thinking otherwise. But we love you. We worship you. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you can do it right now just by believing in him, believing that he's the son of God. He died on a cross, rose from the dead for your sins and my sins and paid the price for that. And just by believing that this morning, you become his child. And he's your shepherd and you're his sheep. And welcome to the family. Lord, bless us this morning as we live our lives learning to love you back. We worship you. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen.